Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Just Riding Along. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Mixers. Because our mixer is dying. And we're going to have to buy one. So tonight we're going to share a microphone. So if Andrew and I sound different than usual, it's because we're sharing a microphone. Also, mixers in the sense that you should probably always have club soda around. That way you can make an elderberry gin and tonic. Because uh, Troy makes a mean one of those. And if you ever have the chance to drink one, do that. But only drink one. Yeah, so if you just hear my laugh as a background, I just realized that because... Whenever I edit an episode, I see what my laugh looks like as an audio track, and I just realized when I laughed at Matt's joke that I uh, I can't see my laugh on on the track. So I'm 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 not really sad about it, but if you just hear me laughing in the background, that's why. So let's launch into what's new. Had I installed my new fork? Yes. When we talked last, but I hadn't ridden it right. Is that where we want to start? Do we want to start with, let's run through patrons. We're going to do that. Okay. I'm all over the place. We're going to start at the bottom. We're going to work our way up. Um, Will, Will, Ty, Phil, Nick, good old Ben, Jenny, Jeff. <laughs> no, you you got to read that entire name. Well, it's Ben from Mountain Bike Radio. It's good old Ben. No, There's. Oh, God, it's Jenny Talia. Jenna Talia, I get it. Um, Jeff, Jamie, Superfan Jake, Garrett, the world's best illustrator. The, he, Garrett's the one that's made every fun picture you've seen for us recently. Um, also, he gave us this really cool painting a long time ago, and it's like over my bath toilet in the bathroom over the toilet in the bathroom that's the sentence i was trying to make with my human brain um evan brad bill anthony alec aaron lead out sports from australia troy with the gin and tonics uh michael jeff and then jeff with a g brady that's that's gonna round it out so for for Jenny Talia, uh, Matt Props, I totally missed that one. Um, but then Andrea said you have to read the whole name, and uh, there was your real name right there in the Patreon patron info. And I I just love your commitment of making that your Patreon name to make that joke <laughs> a joke. So for that, I'm gonna like slow clap you quietly. And then um, I think I want to run into, I installed a 36 on my YT, and to get ahead of any naysayer, it's going to be like, yeah, but you said you loved how light that bike was. Um, if we go back in time, Kenny was like, you are too large of a human to ride a 32 stanchion fork. And uh, it turns out that at a paltry weight of a 155 or 60 pounds, I am too big of a human to rally a 34 fork. Um, there's there's no nice way to go about it. I can just overwhelm the fork in the chunk. I didn't realize how bad it was until I put the... Like, I, I had an idea, right, because I wanted more fork. But then I put the bigger fork on my bike. And I, I think I've ridden it twice. 
one trail is an absolute utter disrepair. It's like all overgrown and blown out and really chunky. And you're right. I could drive out there with loppers and fix a lot of it, but I haven't, I'm going to complain about it. Like most people would. Um, so that's like one. And then I did another ride or that's one ride. And then I did another ride today and I really like it. I, I like the way that the 36 feels, I rode some pretty normal stuff and yeah the bike's just gotten heavier and heavier it's still light it's just not as light but it does it does things better now so so your 36 is it a grip 2 damper it's everything 2021 fox factory 36 grip 2 with the funky pinch bolt dropout it's got like all the bells and whistles that grip 2 is really good uh, it feels great. You know what my favorite part about it is? Is when I panic and I grab some brakes when I'm already in some chunky stuff. The 36 just ain't care. Nope. That's so how I felt. So it's interesting. I was going to say, that's. Go I, I felt the same way as Matt did. When, when I got my Mayhem, I had a Fox 34 to put on it at 130 millimeters of travel. And I did a good bit of riding on it before I changed to the pike. And it was it was just like 1% not quite stiff enough. So, yeah, the pike was... I just found it to be perfect. And the pike's 35. Um, so I think that... I, I just think the Fox 34... Like, I, I think that's now, like, the cross-country fork is the Fox 34 or the Sid 35. And, you know, put the 32 stanchion forks on your gravel bike. Everything just moves up a step. But, yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way about the 34. I didn't really like it. If I was really into cross-country, I'd probably do one of the bikes that comes specced with a 32 or a 34 step cast. But, yeah, keep going. Yeah, the 34 step cast feels good. Question for you. I don't know if either of you have gotten feedback, but the Fox 38 I've messed with them a little bit. I haven't really ridden them on trail, so I should probably not really comment uh, until I ride one like hard off-road. I've definitely set up plenty of them and, and pushed on a ton of them. But the consensus I'm getting is I, people were excited about them when they first came out because it was the new thing. And I think for sure, if you're going to run over 150, 160 travel, it's probably the answer. But the vibe I'm getting as people are being more realistic is that it's actually not a big difference from a 36, unless you're at like the absolute extreme of a 36, like at 160, 170, 180 travel, then maybe it makes more sense, but it's still just a single crown fork. I think the problem is you can only achieve so much with a single crown fork, period. So my understanding is it's not as big of a difference in feel as going from like a 34 to a 36, like whatever that gap is. I don't think it's the same from a 36 to a 38. I think it's like a very subtle difference and you lose a decent amount of small bump compliance on that 38 and it's got like a weird air shaft inside of a shaft inside of a stanchion. It's it's kind of an odd fork. Yeah, but I think when you say like, you know, it's a negligible difference, I think one thing to consider first, let's put math into the equation. Two millimeters is a larger percentage of 34 than it is 36. So that two millimeter increase is not, it's two millimeters more, but percentage wise, it's not the same percentage sure, no, of I growth. Understand. Here's another yep. thing to consider. 
Um, we're all small humans, right? I think the person that really likes the 38 weighs 200 pounds and is riding 29, 170. That would be my guess. Yeah, I is, think that's very reasonable. Um, with that said, I have ridden a 36 at 170. And given that I'm only, you know, 155, 160 pounds on a heavy day, right? Um, I think that I would personally run 36 if I were in that situation or Lyric. I don't see myself running like a 38 or a Zeb at 160. Let's just call it 160 pounds um, when I'm heavy just because I'm not a huge human. Well, and also what I think is the person that's going to, I think there are a lot more people out there who notice a difference between a 34 and a 36, not just because of math, like what Matt said, but because the person who could really tell a difference there is going to be a large person and is going to be riding stuff that is really like bike park downhill. You know, that's going to be where they notice it. They may not notice it on their just local kind of cross-country trail type stuff, you know, that person may not even notice it until they get into just like the thunder chunk type of stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, what's... I think that's reasonable. One other thing to consider, because now I'm going to throw everyone in the industry that listens under the bus, think about how hard people ride, right? Like the 38 was not made for Matt McCulley from Howard, Colorado, right? It was made for Jared Graves. It was made for insert any other enduro racer. I don't know enduro racer names. I don't I don't care, right? But it wasn't made for little dudes that go quick-ish in their small town in the mountains, right? It's made for so here's people that are fucking thing. sending. I've been watching some enduro racing and from what I've seen it's pretty 50-50 on whether or not people run a 36 or a 38 on those bikes. So that's pretty fascinating. Right, but let me let me finish. Very few people are bending a 36, right? They're not like making it flex. Like it's pretty easy to flex a 34. Like it's there's a large number of people on bikes that can make a 34 groan under them, right? There's very few people that can overrun a 36. So when people say they don't feel the difference, it's because they're not like, you know, Aaron fucking Gwen or whoever it is. I don't know. Like again, I don't know these people. So that's just my my hot take of throwing everyone as a cyclist under the bus and saying you don't you don't ride hard enough to notice the difference. I was trying to say that also. I was just saying it a little nicer than you are. We ain't nice around here. Pull up. Put your big boy pants on. We ain't nice. So I've ridden my bike. Um, I had jury duty this week. So (laughs) just as a a quick little note, I need to look at a calendar here. I worked. So it's the 17th. I worked on the 13th, and I don't work again until the 24th. And I was scheduled for jury duty yesterday. So I went over there and was dismissed from service, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, Matt was. Are you? Uh, he turned up. Are you he, on that Elizabeth Holmes case? He took the old Matt Theranos? just took his. He just took his normal amount of abrasiveness and turned it up to like twelve or thirteen. I've been uh, told that if you show up in a Star Wars costume, that they usually won't uh, take you. So. For those of you that don't understand this, it's an hour drive each direction for me to get to jury duty, and uh, I didn't feel like being there. And they decide, 
without incriminating myself, I mean, I did answer all the questions truthfully, and I just made sure to answer them truthfully because that's the law, but they decided they didn't want me to be on their jury. And after that, I went to Home Depot and I went to the grocery store. So, you know, it's just one of those things that I was not excited about doing. So today we went and rode bikes and then continued preparation for elk season and I made burritos and that was that was my day. So what's new in Kennyland? Have you had any wild retail stories lately? <laughs> That's funny that you ask. So yeah, I apologize to Matt and Andrea. They've already heard this one, but I'll just I want to hear it again. It. I do have a funny story and basically in general Everyone's getting tired. I get it. Even I'm getting tired. I was pretty good about just like, ah, COVID, this, that, whatever. Like, I'll deal with whatever weird stuff we got to deal with. It's not a problem. But I just, I get the vibe in the last maybe four months that people are just, like, there's crazy people. Like, people fight flight attendants, like, more so than they usually did, which is already insane that they did to begin with. But just crazy people do crazy stuff like i don't know what's wrong with people they've lost their minds people still don't understand how something could be difficult to obtain or that something's going to take a long time or that some company doesn't answer their phone they still don't get it blows my mind anyway the story i have for you today is revolving around a shimano rear derailleur which are very difficult to come by in all in the entire world um I'm not going to name specific names, but uh, large bicycle manufacturers have called very large online retailers trying to purchase Shimano derailleurs in the hundreds on like, anyway, that's the world we live in. It's crazy. So we had a customer drop off a bike, some nice full suspension frame up build that we were doing. And I think it was nice customer. I think we were doing like half his parts, half our parts. He was able to somehow source some hard to find Shimano stuff. Um, yeah, no big deal. Everything was great. We He dropped off all his parts. We made really good notes on what he dropped off, what he was buying from us, all the good stuff. Get to working on his bike the next day and get to a standstill because we have no rear derailleur at that time. We're like, that's weird. Maybe there was a miscommunication. Maybe he didn't drop it off or he thought we had one. So we called him and said, yo, did you drop off this XT 12-speed rear derailleur? And he said, yeah, I did. And then we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> so we have misplaced this or something crazy has happened. We don't know. And there was a big old pile of parts. So we thought maybe nobody did anything wrong, but maybe one of these, this derailleur fell off the top of the box or fell on the floor, a good employee, picked it up, stocked it on the shelf, and then we sold it to a customer. So I looked through transaction history. Sure enough, we sold a derailleur. And I'm like, great, this is super bad. Like probably not anyone's fault. It's just, it's like the worst situation that could ever happen is that someone's asked, hey, do you have a derailleur? Someone looked on a shelf. It was actually the customer's derailleur. We sold it and I literally cannot get one. And we have a ton on order and we've had for a year, but we just can't get them. Have you found one yet? Um, we're getting getting to that. Oh, yes. We, we got this customer rolling. Is the end of the story, everything worked out fine. We actually had to borrow something off of one of our floor bikes, and we had a cheaper derailleur that we put on there. Anyway, 
Running at this change. point, we asked all. Yeah, I asked all my employees, like, "Hey, guys, like, I'm not mad, but like, did anyone hand a customer this derailleur?" And everybody was adamant, like, "No, I didn't." So then I'm like, "Ah, I got to figure out who this is." So I hopped on the camera system real quick, and it was pretty easy to find because I saw when that transaction was that that customer bought that derailleur, and I just looked right then, and sure enough, there he is at the front counter, and I followed him around the store. Um, we luckily have a lot of really high quality cameras and they're very easy to use and uh, traced it back to this one customer. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Now let's see who handed it to him. And I see him in the service department and here's what this guy did. And I'm not kidding. This is insane. He rolls into the service department and the service department's like a separate area. It's got tons of workbenches. There's parts on workbenches, bikes being torn apart, like all that kind of stuff. So service writing and kind of semi in-depth service is in the same room. But it's, it's very obvious that it's a room and like people are in there, stuff's happening. Uh, it's not a showroom. It's an open service area, right? It is, yes, exactly. So I am watching this guy who has this derailleur in his hand and I'm basically going backwards. And a customer asked one of my employees, hey, do you have a 12-speed XC derailleur? He goes, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Let me go in the back and check. He walks in the back and checks. Customer walks over to a bike with all of its parts on the counter and a frame that's very obviously being built. Walks over there, picks up this customer's derailleur, looks at it, walks out of the room, hides it in a corner of another room, walks back. My employee comes back up a minute later and says, no, sorry, I don't have a derailleur. And he goes, okay, no problem, and walks out. And then go goes and picks up his stash derailleur and checks it out at the front. And it just happened to be in a retail box at the time. Like, it wasn't taken out of the box yet. So he, he, he did pay I, for it. He didn't steal it, which just blows my mind. But he it was very obvious. Like, you could see by his mannerisms. He was, like, looking around. And then he really quickly shuffled out of the room and, like, set it down and came back. And anyway, he essentially stole a customer's derailleur, like, that's the world. That's what it's come to. Kenny, I will buy you a six-pack of beer if you like hop in a Zoom call with me and screen share and show me that. I, I would love to see you. that I'm, also. I will not share it with the world. It's just that that stuff doesn't ever end well. As much as I'd like to... No, no, not know. the world. Just me. You, I know. Don't I even know. send I'm... me the video. Just... <laughs> uh. Anyway crazy i mean we all i could do when i saw it happening because me and another guy were looking at it i'm like what is this guy doing it is this did the guy pick up the trailer oh my god what's he doing he just picked up that trailer holy crap where is he do he's he he's hiding it like we were just like laughing at that point it was insane Ugh. the plot twist is that we don't know is the guy was fixing someone's bicycle that has leukemia well even so it's not right to steal stuff he, you pay for it. He, he paid to steal it. He <laughs> stole to pay for it. It's it's a it look. It's like soaking. It doesn't make sense, but that's it, how it goes. It, it, it's like this: you're at a restaurant and you order a steak, and they go, "Hey, I'm really sorry. We just ran out of steak. Would you like the chicken?" And they're like, "No, that's okay." And you get up and you walk over the table next to you that just got their steak dropped off and you just pick up that plate and pop it on your table. Well, I mean, 
like I guess the plot twist to make it the same is the table next to you gets their steak and it's like I'm gonna run to the restroom before I dig in and when they walk away you like run over there and gobble up their steak but then pay their bill and leave <laughs> yeah pretty much um, well other than that absolute looney tune pile of shit that happened um, what else is going on <laughs> that's all the cool stuff I got for you unfortunately I've got no other neat stories I've been playing around with my little Suron dirt bike a bunch and it is insanely fun dirt bikes in general are a lot of fun and naturally there's a lot of crossover both ways from mountain biking to riding motorcycles off-road but I'm kind of on a off-road motorcycle kick enjoying it for now so I'm kind of at the point in my life where if I find something that's fun to do I'm just going to do it I don't really care what other people think or what I used to do or whatever I'm just going to do what is fun and right now, that's a lot of fun. Oh, you made me remember something I did on my dirt bike. I rode my first wheelie on my dirt bike this week. What? Like, I don't understand. Isn't that the first thing you do as a person who gets on a motorcycle is you try to do a wheelie? No. That's like no. the first thing I ever did when I put a leg over a motorcycle when I was like eight. I rode a wheelie today, like this week. Like I didn't like... Oh, so you... I'm not... I, I've been really struggling to figure out how to like do more than pop the wheelie. And this week I did something that definitely was more than pop the wheelie. So it's pretty cool. I'm really stoked on that. Nice. It was like a sneeze, only better. A lot better. Um, What's new with Andrea? I like how you, it seemed like you kind of forgot my name there for a second. Uh, I have been a little bit like Kenny. When something is fun, I'm just kind of doing it right now because, I don't know. The world is a hellscape. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to like just be nice to myself right now and just do whatever is appealing because that's kind of the best thing you can do for yourself right now. Uh, I love bike racing and I've always loved training in bike racing for the most part. The training part's not always fun. Uh, the bike racing part's fun, though, and it's always good to get a challenge. But, yeah, right now my challenge is elk hunting. And I'm going to do that at the very end of October, uh, first week of November. And so I've been going out and doing a lot of scouting in the area that I want to hunt. And I've had some pretty good success. Not necessarily, I mean, it's it's a month and a half out. So I've been scouting like a month and a half to two months out. I'm not necessarily necessarily looking for animals to be where I am right now. I'm more looking for, hey, you know, there's some elk poop here that looks like it was from last winter. So they'll probably be here, not right now, but later. But also looking for spots where I can just sit kind of on a hillside and see a large area uh, where you can just look with binoculars or a spotting scope and find animals across you know on the other side of the valley and then you go and hopefully find them on foot but anyway so I've been doing that I've also in the process have seen a bunch of people going out to hunt in archery because the archery season in Colorado is a month long it's like the whole month of September and I find it to be fascinating because you can actually call elk at that point so I think I'm going to get into bow hunting next year, but we'll see how that goes. 
I know we had a listener who was uh, a very good archer who came to Absolute Bikes at least once. Uh, Josh will, I'm not going to do your whole last name, but yeah, Josh. Wasn't it like... Yeah, for once you could... (laughs) I remembered a name. Andrea remembers a name and blows the dude out on the internet when I'm trying to not. I mean, do you want to go ahead and spell it? I'm sorry, I was just really impressed that I could remember a name. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I'm maybe going to start doing that at some point, but for now I'm kind of focusing on the uh, rifle season of this year. But I've been mostly doing that and riding a little bit. Uh, My chickens are good. I did learn from my previous post on the JRA Instagram about what would you like to hear us discuss. A lot of people want me to talk about chickens, and... I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't know how many listeners, but there are some people that are very, very invested into the lives of my chickens because I actually also got a complaint that in episode seven, I did not talk at all about chickens. So I'm sorry. I didn't talk about chickens. If you just want a quick chicken update, I lost one chicken to sauerkraut because I didn't know what it was. And I've since learned um, she had an impacted crop She had a bunch of grass stuck in her gizzard and food couldn't pass through. So that's a little bit sad. Uh, But all my other chickens are doing really well. And my Uh, rooster... We should should call the quick chicken update the chicken nugget. (laughs) That's wonderful. So Andrea's chicken nugget of the week. My rooster is an asshole and he attacked me the other day. Like legit. It felt like someone hurled, I don't know, like a football at the back of my legs. I don't know how an animal that weighs probably, I don't know, he's like 10 pounds. He's a big rooster. He was, like, I let him out. I, I opened the door for, like, the my normal, like, him and the laying hens. And they have kind of a hallway that they go through and then go out into the bigger yard area. And that happens to be where the gate is to get in and out of the little yard for the meat chickens. And I was just doing stuff with them, like filling their water, feeding them and all that stuff. And he came out and just attacked the back of my legs. And it felt like someone threw a sharp football at the back of my legs. Like it it hurt. Like it was not a comfortable sensation. And I did, I did punt him a little bit like a football. And he landed on the ground and just shook it off and walked around like nothing happened. Like, I don't know. He was, uh, he's kind of a jerk, but, you know, I got to keep him around because he's a good rooster. Otherwise, as far as like keeping predators and things away from the, the hens. So he's, he's my rooster for now. I've got a couple of little ones that are growing up with the uh, meat chickens that I'm going to turn out with the regular chickens. And eventually if, if we have any nearby listeners that want a rooster, I will probably be giving away one rooster at some point because I'll have three roosters and only like eight hens. So that's not a very good mix. They're going to fight, which isn't good. I don't want them to hurt each other. So that's my chicken nugget for the week. Uh, I hope everyone is happy about that. Uh, Kenny's story segues into a really good question that we had on Twitter that some people are probably dealing with right now. Uh, someone, their Twitter handle is the KOM Hunter, 
and this actually just came through through today. He says, uh, I reposted someone's thread about um, supply chain problems because it was really interesting. I thought it didn't necessarily have to do with the bike industry, but it was just supply chains in general. So go to the Just Riding Along show Twitter if you want to see that. Um, he says, because my local bike shop in Spain has zero Shimano 12-speed chains, they just installed a SRAM GX chain on my Shimano XT drivetrain. Any idea why my drivetrain is so is now so loud? As if the indignity of using a SRAM chain on a Shimano drivetrain weren't painful enough. Um, yeah, so long story short, that doesn't work. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in the cycling industry that is not technically correct, but actually works great. In all, pretty much all previous generations, SRAM and Shimano and KMC and probably a few others, with the exception of Campy for the most part, all that stuff is pretty interchangeable. Like really no big deal. For the longest time on 1x10 and 1x11 stuff, uh, the 11-speed chain worked amazing. All that SRAM stuff, the 1x specific ones, like an X1 or an XX1 chain, they worked so good. Uh, so not a problem at all, but unfortunately the Hyperglide Plus or whatever the heck it's called, I can never remember, but the new Shimano 12-speed stuff is a completely different animal. So as you shift, it's designed to be on two cogs at one time, so the shaping of both the cassette and the chain are significantly different. The widths are very similar. Yeah, I was going to ask if you knew which, what was different. Is it like from pin to pin or the the width of the chain or? Nope. So width and pin to pin length are pretty much identical. It's all the chamfering. So all the little angles that are cut into the plates that are made to catch or not catch or do whatever they do. All the little voodoo magic that happens um, with shifting because it's extremely, it's an extremely complex topic. That's also why, not trying to be mean here, but it's the reasons why like E13 and other random cassettes just don't work, they don't work right because uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Anyway, the moral of the story is, unfortunately, if you have a SRAM 12-speed drivetrain, it is SRAM only. I'm sorry, I'm just saying random things now. If you have a Shimano 12-speed drivetrain, it's Shimano, needs to be Shimano everything, Shimano front ring, Shimano... Um, derailleur, cassette chain, the whole nine needs to be Shimano. That's what I've seen so far. And I love trying to do stuff you're not supposed to do, but it just doesn't work. KMC, I don't have enough experience with it. I think there are some more universal KMC 12-speed chains that might, they're probably not going to work as well, but I think they might work better than a SRAM Eagle 12-speed chain on Shimano. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is if you had any experience with using the KMC chain. I've used them. I used them a long time ago, like on my old 10 speed stuff. Uh, they had cool colors mm-hmm. that I liked. So I used KMC 10 speed chains and they worked great. They were fine. So I know that they do, I think, specify between a Shimano or SRAM ever since they went to 11 speed. I think I'd have to go to their website something, and verify something that. Something like that. So maybe our listener that has that issue, he might be able to find if Shimano is totally unavailable, he should maybe look for a Shimano compatible KMC 12, cha- 12 speed chain. You know, if any of our shop people out there could help this person out, you know, we can, we can hook them up through Twitter and see if they can work something out. But yeah, there you go. 
if I can throw something in here, um, and this isn't a knock on Wolf Tooth, but think about it like this: if the Shimano chain and the SRAM chain worked on the same chain ring, they wouldn't have made a new chain ring for the Shimano chain. And again, it's not not knocking on Wolf Tooth, but like they're a business that wants to make money. Increasing the number of SKUs does not make money unless you must increase the number of SKUs to sell a product that functions. So, yeah, for our friend that got uh, duped by his bike shop, if I were you, I would take my bike back and I would be like, take this off my bike and give me my money back. This is not compatible. I would go full asshole. That's just me, though. That's kind of how the I roll one sometimes. Thing that I, the one thing I have not tried extensively is, you obviously today you wouldn't want to ever do this, but something I need to try in the future is what happens when you put a Shimano 12-speed chain on SRAM, what does it do? I don't know. That's a good question. Nobody knows. <laughs> uh, do you want to keep going with listener questions, or do you have anything else you want to like talk about that's not listener questions before we do that? I don't have anything else. I've We've talked about all the funny stuff that's happened with me, so unless you guys do, I'd say we no. knock out a few listener questions. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to answer questions that we got through direct message on Instagram. Uh, we had one that's more of a comment than a question. This is from Chris. He says, water filter, Sawyer equals awesome. Uh, Catadyne be free equals more awesome. So, yeah, that's one that I've never used. I've definitely seen it, and it looks cool. But uh, I don't have any experience with it, so I couldn't recommend or not recommend. But our listener who had asked about uh, water filters, maybe check that one out as well. Okay, so getting into the meaty listener questions from Caleb P. He says, sometimes I question this shorter fork offset on shorter travel bikes. I don't have a lot of experience on many newer short travel bikes that use a slacker head tube angle, but it seems to make a little more sense on the longer travel slacker bikes than on the shorter travel bikes, even if they are slacker up front now than a few years previous. Hope that makes sense. It does. Pre uh, thoughts. Maybe a longer reach or top tube length are a factor too, though. What do you guys think? My comment is, in general, yes, I think that is the correct assessment. In generally steeper head tube angle bikes, if you are trying to add longer travel, just like we said many, many years ago, running the larger offset will help a little bit. But on, yeah, I don't have a ton of experience going the other way around though, for sure. It's kind of funny on the ultra long travel stuff, you don't necessarily want to run an aggressive offset because that bike will just tuck the front on flat turns. I know that seems counterintuitive because we say that adding that offset on a steep travel bike that you added travel to, it helps with the initial turn-in feeling, like the turn with your shoulders type stuff. It helps with that feeling. Whether that's good or bad, that's what it does. But yeah, I've ridden some large offset bikes on long travel. Uh, lo sorry, large offset forks on long travel bikes, and they feel messed up. Like, it's... It's bizarre. All I can say is they feel very understeery. I think something, I'm not smart enough. I worked with a really smart guy at one point when I was at Rebel. His name's uh, Jeremiah. And uh, he told me, 
once someone was talking about a mullet bike and he was like, yeah, but the trail number gets all wrong. He's like, I don't care that you change this and that. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I didn't follow along, but like someone was trying to explain how like you could mullet a Revel rail because if you did this and 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 these four things and these seven other things, then the axle to crown was semi close to the 27.5 and blah, 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 blah. And he was just like, yeah, but the trail number's all wrong and it won't feel right. And to me, I think that's what these changes and offsets are doing is, is they're tuning to a trail number, which is something that I have no idea how to wrap my head around. But um, that's just what like I think is making the bikes feel good. I think they're changing one number and then changing the other number, and then the trail number is ending up where it's supposed to be for the bike to feel good. So don't ask me to explain what that means because I can't. <laughs> So offset is going to be kind of like where the the axle is in relation to like the center line of the fork stanchion, correct? Yeah, so offset is just in relation, if the fork was just static sitting on its own, you can see what the offset is. It's based on, it's essentially uh, the steer tube. If you measure that out to where the actual axle bolts in, that's going to be your offset. Right. And then which, what is trail? I so don't trail, remember exactly that one. Yeah. So trail, imagine that you have, you're looking at a picture of a bicycle, um, like an outline. And you're going to draw a line from your, a vertical line, completely perpendicular to the ground through your axle. And then you're going to draw another one um, that is going to, another one that's going to follow your steer tube into the uh, ground. Okay. And it's going to be, uh, and if you measure it at the ground, it's going to be the distance between those two lines. So okay. what will give you a, what's going to give you a larger trail number is going to be a slacker head tube angle with, um, with less rake. That's going to be a larger trail. So to decrease your trail number, it's very counterintuitive, but to decrease your trail number, you're going to steepen your head tube angle and or add more fork offset. So what are common fork offsets? I know 51 um, is one, 44 or 46. Are both of those um, pretty? They're both out there for sure. Okay. They're both very common. Just depends on if it's Fox or Rock Shocks. But the two most common ones today on trail bikes are going to be 51 or 46. So a five mil difference between them. And I'm currently on my gravel bike. The fork that I managed to find for it is a 100 millimeter travel in a 51 offset. So it's it makes it very road bikey. Anyone else have anything about a fork offset that they would like to review? Nope. Okay, let me find the next question. Okay, from Liam S. <clears throat> says, following on from today's episode, do you know the reason that American slash Canadian brakes are around the wrong way? I guess that was when we were talking about oh, something in episode... Moto brakes. Yeah, yeah. Actual question. What's your favorite tubeless repair kit style? I've got a standard bacon strip style one and recently learned of the Stans Dart Dynaplug and also the Lazine Strip Plus CO2. 
what works the best? What would you carry for every day versus racing? Well, I'll start off and say that the Stan's Dart, I got one. I waited for so fucking long for it to be in stock. And I got one because it's supposed to be the coolest, most awesome shit ever. And it fucking broke. The first time I tried to use it, it broke. It broke two of the little, like the the rubbery patches won't go in the hole in your tire. And the plastic parts break and... Yeah, fuck that tool. That thing sucks. There should be like a class action lawsuit of people who have broken Stan's dart tools to get their like $12 back. I kind of agree with that. The I bought a dart when they first came out because it seemed really cool. And I tried to use one on a puncture that was dead in the center of a tire, <clears throat> just big enough to let a whole bunch of sealant come out. It was like the poster child of how right. this tool was supposed to work. Of where you'd like it's just fucking, barely too too much of a hole yes. for sealant to seal. And it was even a round hole. It wasn't even like a slice. That fucking thing would not go in there. I thought I was going to break a finger or the tool or have something shoot off into my eyeball. Like <laughs> I don't know what the deal was with that, but it wouldn't even it would not go in. Period. Um, if you push it hard enough, it'll just break. You're right. Like something will shoot yeah. off into your eyeball or something like that. Yeah, it just doesn't. I'd like to hear. I'm sure, you know, if you could actually get that little flappy rubbery thing into the hole, I bet it works great. But the cheap ass plastic shit that's supposed to put that into the hole just doesn't fucking work. Well, it's like carbon fiber or something, but regardless. If y'all say um, put it in the hole one more time, I'm probably going to fucking lose it. <laughs> I've used it three times now. The second time was a slice, and I used the dart went in just fine. I used two of them, and it was still not sufficient, and it was not that big of a slice. It was maybe a centimeter, like not some giant inch-long gash. It was a, kind of a normal rock slice, nothing crazy. What is funny now? Just a just a normal size gash, you know. Just yeah, normal just a, normal old gash. It's a normal old slit. Uh, that did not work. And then third time, it semi worked. So not super pumped. I've used just the good old fashioned bacon, like with the almost car tire looking tool. Uh, those worked fine. I've used the really expensive one, the Dynaplug, I think. It's got like the aluminum spear yep. thing and then like the and it's got the tail that's maybe the actual patch or whatever those are. I've used those in to pretty good success. Basically all the ones I've used other than the stands were pretty decent. All right, so I'm going to tell you my trick. Um you go to the bike shop, you grab a the Topeak setup. You get the little Topeak tire plug fork, the bacon strips, and then you go, you're in that area already. You go over and you grab a normal inner tube patch kit. And then you go home and you open the patch kit and you dump all that stuff into a junk drawer in your workshop. And then you take a screwdriver and you barely open up the little bacon fork a little bit. And the reason for that is it'll make it easier to insert a bacon 
it'll make it easier to remove the tool when you have inserted the bacon. It'll make it easier to put the bacon in the tool, and then once you have the bacon in the tire, you can pull it right out. On a on a vehicle tire plug, um, what you would want to do is have like a super tight fit because you're literally like wrestling with body weight and stuff. On a bite tire, you're not going to be pushing nearly as hard. You don't need that same tightness. I've pulled bacon back out before or been in a situation where I'm like trying to hold it in with my finger and pull the bacon or the tool off. Um, so I just open my tool up a tiny bit and those, those flat repair kits work great. Now, um, I don't think that I would ever try to do any like CO2 bacon combos. And then um, to tell you why that bicycle brakes are oriented the way that they are, when you're riding on the right-hand side of the road, you would indicate with your left hand. So that would be, you know, you could use your signal, your hand signals for slowing, left turn, right turn. And you would do that with your left hand, leaving your right hand on the rear brake lever. When you go overseas and you're riding on the left side of the road, you would indicate with your right hand and you want to leave your left hand covering the rear brake lever. The idea being that if you do a panic situation before you get your hand back to the bar, the hand that's on the brake is on the rear brake so you can't knock yourself over the bars um, in, in those odd situations. So I don't know if you wanted a real answer there, but you got one. And as far as the difference between what I would carry for a race versus a ride, if it's a cross-country race, like something that's going to be an hour to an hour and a half, I'd probably take the pump off of my... Honestly, I'm kind of lazy, and I'll forget it next time I ride, so I'd leave the pump on my bike. I carry a little frame pump. I use the Lizine pump. I know some people have complained that uh, they can start to fall apart after they rattle around. Yeah, they do that, but you just thread them back together. It's not a big deal. I like that pump because it has a flexible hose on it. You thread it onto your Presta valve. You use it. You unthread it. Works great. Uh, you don't have the chance, like with a regular pump, that you kind of have to like put on there and lock on, and then it's locked in like a rigid position while you're pumping. Uh, you can bend your Presta valve that way. You could potentially break your Presta valve, which would suck. So, anyway, that tangent. Um, historically, for cross-country races, I'll carry a single tube, a big air CO2, and a tire lever. Maybe a tool. I don't really care that much about a chain tool for a cross-country race because if I need to do chain repair, I'm... I lost. I just need to be able to get back to, you know, my car at that point. You know, so I just need something like if I wrecked and twisted my handlebars, something I can loosen my stem bolts with and put my handlebars back in place, basically. Um, Or if, like, my saddles slipped for some weird reason. But, yeah, that's that's really what I'd carry for, for a short race. For an endurance race or anything that's going to be backcountry, kind of a long way from anywhere... I use the same stuff that I carry for an everyday ride. I use, um, I'll carry a tube, maybe two tubes. Um, usually just one, but maybe two. Just kind of depends on what the course is. And I'll carry my pump for sure because you never run out of pump. CO2 is faster, but the pump is just always there. Um, a tire lever, um, a chain tool on my normal like multi-tool. 
and a quick link in case that way if I need to take a link out of the chain I can put it back together with a quick link. Uh, thankfully never had to do that before so yeah that's the only difference. Um, you know CO2 I kind of reserve for the cross country races just because it's I don't know, a little bit wasteful. I have like 500 CO2s at my house. If anyone's really into that stuff, if you're ever in the Salida area, I'll bring you like a grocery bag full of them. You're not giving away our CO2s. Um, What else we got? Let's do one more question if we have one. Yeah, I've got one from Brady Howe. Um, oh, no, that one is important. Oh, I want to read Brady's because okay. Brady called me out on being pale on Instagram. He said a, a birthday candle could sunburn me. He says, what's the dumbest thing you've done while working on your own bike after having a cocktail or two? Personally, I once rubbed slick honey on my stanchions as my fork was overdue for service and I had a race that weekend. My wife reminded me that Matt said that is the equivalent of rubbing an energy gel on your chest when you're hungry. I promptly cleaned off my fork. Well, um, let's see. <laughs> take a picture of it when you're when you're editing this and post that with it I, I changed the chain ring on my yt and i didn't adjust the chain length and my bike shifted like absolute dog ass for like a month because i was like you can change the chain ring four teeth without saving the chain different <laughs> you know i'm just over that thinking the biggest problem is is unless you know where your chain was sized you don't know how far you can go one direction or the other. So if you're running a 32-tooth chain ring, there is the potential that you could run a 28 or you could run a 36 because it's it's four teeth total change, right? But nothing is really going to – I mean, I guess you could inspect your B-tension, but nothing's going to really tell you which direction that goes. If your bike is one of those weird bikes that, like, falls – in an odd spot like when I shortened my chain it was like a judgment call of like well if I take a full link out it's going to be like pretty close it'll still be long enough but it'll be like on the short side of long enough rather than like where it was was the long side of long enough and I changed that and my bike shifts way better now um it's still a tiny bit odd but you know, to be honest, if I still worked at a bike shop, I would probably install a different derailleur on my bike and go test ride it and then say, oh, a derailleur did or did not solve this problem. But instead, it just makes a tiny bit of noise in one gear because like parts availability is really odd right now. And I don't, I don't, at our house, we have, I'm going to count like three or four of those, uh, those those robotic derailers and we only have two mechanical derailers the one on my yt and the old x01 mcleod that's it's on it's whatever she has this derailleur that's just done more trail work than like half the cyclists that mountain bike <laughs> and this derailleur's fucking haggard and <laughs> it still works it does work but you can't I, it doesn't work in a sense that i could do troubleshooting on my bike with it it works as in it goes to all 12 gears usually <laughs> like my bike made some weird noises today while we were riding andrea's bike made some bad noises while we were riding today it literally sounded like there was gravel between the chain and the cassette at one point and she's just back there <laughs> 
Like, it was making so much noise. I thought Fortunate Son was going to start playing and, like, a helicopter was going to swing down. Okay, Brady, I'm not going to say I have never done anything stupid when I've had a cocktail or two. I just can't fucking remember what I've done. So, I I can't answer the question. What about you, Kenny? I done anything stupid while drinking and working on a bike. I probably have. Nothing, like... Nothing crazy comes to mind. I'll think about it, but no, I don't yeah. think I've done anything too too bad. If we think of anything between now and the episode, the next episode, we'll we'll go over it. I'll do one more question. We've got one from Garrett, our um, super fan graphic artist that does all the cool illustrations of like the Japanese robot derailleur and all of that good stuff. He says, "How do I become a better climber? Gym, more hills, what? More hills is good." Um, Jim, not necessarily, you know, I mean, look, okay, so for like 99% of people out there, especially as you get up and over the age of like 40 to 50, I don't know how old Garrett is, this is just good advice for everybody, um, lifting weights and doing some strength training is an exceptional thing for you to do, and don't let my next statement discourage you from doing that. But the world's best climbers are the people who are the lightest. And if you put muscle on in the gym, that is weight. And that doesn't make you the lightest. But um, I still think, you know, you still need to do some strength. Don't don't worry about that. Hill repeats is good. Um, I think that there's a very big mental aspect of it. If you always just kind of dread a climb or you dread a headwind or whatever it is, you you just aren't going to do it as well. So if you just kind of accept it as just part of your bike ride, you know, it it starts to get easier to do it well. Or you can be like Kenny and just put a fucking motor on your bike. <laughs> uh, I always thought I was a decent climber, and a lot of it's because I'm pretty light. So I think Yeah, weight, you're not a huge it, it's, dude. It's not, the, it's not the fun answer that you want, but, like, unfortunately, when it comes to climbing bicycles you know your body type is a huge part of that it just is um the other part i think andrea brought up a really good point it's just a mental thing if it's like hey especially if it's uh you know a local climb to you and this is where i think strava can be a good thing where it's like i'm gonna beat my last time and it's like and you just try to get faster and faster and faster and then you're so consumed with you know trying to go faster and better yourself that it's not as big of a chore. Or if it's a, Hey, I'm going to go crush this climb and go, you know, scream down the downhill or whatever. That is also a good thing. So yeah, the mental, mental part is huge. And unfortunately just your body type is huge. I don't think there's any other great way to be a climber. Like you just have to, you have to semi enjoy it and you got to go freaking hard. Yeah, and interval training, you know, if you live someplace kind of flat, you can do intervals into the headwind, and it it's better than not doing any sort of organized interval training. It's still not the same as having, you know, a, I don't know, 20-minute climb to your house like I've got, but, you know, it's it's better than not doing anything at all. So if you say, you know, like, I'm going to go on vacation to wherever and there's going to be a lot of climbing if you can do some you know look at the climbs look at 
Strava times and whatnot for the climb. See how long it takes people. Are they five-minute climbs, you know, in Arkansas? Are they one-hour climbs in Colorado? Are they somewhere in between? Look at those times and do intervals for, you know, that amount of, um, for that amount of time and just kind of prepare for it. Or if you live someplace with climbs, then just don't avoid them. You know, go do them. Just be like, my bike ride today is just going to be a lot of climbing. And don't worry about how slow you're going. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Just go and just accept the fact that you're going uphill. Yep, you got to pedal hard up hills to get good at pedaling hard up hills. Luckily, you live somewhere with hills, so you can do it. But at the end of the day, you just may not do it because you don't want to. So They're set, too. But... All right, well, we're uh, right around an hour now. Do we want to shut it down? Shut it down. Well, that's it. You heard it from the man himself. This is it. We're shutting it down. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show. There's some shit coming out of your great pads.